Many of you know that I really love to go on road trips. I love road trips. I do not like flying. I don't really believe in trying to stay 30,000 feet in the air in a big hunk of metal because I feel out of control in that kind of situation. So I love the road trip. I love to road trip all around. I road trip with my family when we go on vacations and whenever I have business meetings for, for church uh, functions, I, I road trip if I can. I love being in the car, turning on some music, just thinking, maybe listening to an audio book. I love to road trip. I like to get out on the open highway. And one of the things that I always enjoy, it sounds a little silly, but it's just a reality. Every time I come to a state line, I always, I always just remark on it. I love crossing the state line. If I have my family in the car, I say, look kids, we're in North Carolina. Look kids, we're in South Carolina, we're in Florida, we're, we're in Kentucky. I always point out to them that we cross the border. It's like something just magical about it. I love identifying the crossing of those borders. I love checking out the different rest stops in the other states. I, 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 I love crossing those, those borders. But on one occasion when I was road tripping and I started thinking about that, I was coming up to a sign. I saw, hey, welcome to North Carolina. And I started thinking about how it always tickles me to cross that border. But then the thought immediately struck me. There are other borders that I don't enjoy crossing. There are other borders that don't bring me joy when it comes time to crossing them. They bring me fear. They bring me anxiety. They bring me apprehension. When it comes time to cross these borders, I get uncomfortable because I know it's gonna be awkward and potentially humiliating when it comes time to cross socioeconomic borders. I know it's gonna be challenging and I'm not gonna know all of the rules when I cross religious borders. I know it's gonna be hard when I cross ethnic and cultural borders to connect with people who do not share my world, who are not from my background. But one of the things that we are going to drill down on this fall is the fact that God's mission, God's calling on his people is a calling that that leads us into the crossing of borders. It's, it's this kind of calling. If you identify as a Christian, what I hope for you to absorb over this fall is the fact that an identity as Christian is to identify as a missionary. It's to be one who identifies as sent by God to do his work in the world. You are not in charge of your own life. You're not in charge of your own trajectory. You bring your own life before God for his direction. And one of the things that is always to be a part of the way that Christians think is this idea of being on the mission of God. The mission of God has many components, and we are going to drill down into one of these components, one of these primary components, as we work through the book of Jonah and then pick up some key mission texts at the end of the fall. We're going to do a brief front end of this series through the book of Jonah. 
I think it is one of the most important books that we consider as it pertains to hearing God's call over your life individually, but also for the church to hear our corporate call together from God to be his people in the midst of the world. We have to cross borders. And so this morning, we are going to open up this series, and we're going to think about the paradigm of mission. In other words, where do we get our idea of what mission looks like? Where do you get that idea from? How do you know that you're operating in line with the missional call of God? How do you know what what that looks like? What does it entail? I think we have it in this text this morning. And this text not only frames up our our understanding of of mission and and the paradigm of mission, but it also helps us to understand where the book of Jonah is going to be leading us. So this morning, we're going to take two points. We're going to consider the call of mission and the cost of mission. We're going to consider the call to mission and the cost of mission. The call to mission. Yes, each and every Christian in here, you have been called to mission. And the cost of mission. And that mission will cost you. Here's the reality. Everything in life to which you are committed costs you. The question is, is it worth the cost? Everything in life costs you. If you want to be an amazing attorney, it's going to cost you. And it sounds like a sobering way to put it, but it's just a reality. If you want to be a medical doctor, if you want to be a teacher, teachers already know from the first week of school, it's going to cost you to fulfill that calling. And the calling to be missionaries in the places where God has situated us, it it costs us. So let's look at our first point, the call to mission. We open up this text in the book of Jonah, and Jonah... It's typically known for uh, one, of the, one of the more fascinating scenes in the book. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. And the rest of the book, the rest of the message gets obscured by that one, that one part of the narrative. But what I want to do is I want to reclaim for you. If that's all Jonah has ever been to you, I want to reclaim it for you. And I want you to see right from the beginning that we are, we are getting a sense of what God is out to teach us in this book. The first line of the book begins to grab our attention. Look at it. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. This is a most obvious but important thing for you to realize. The mission begins with the initiative of God. The mission begins in the heart of God. God wants to send Jonah. It's simple, but it's something important to remember. Why is Jonah called? Because because of the heart of God. God wants him to go. God has plans for those people. Jonah isn't really interested in the plan, but God has plans. God has desires for those people. And so he gives this word to Jonah and tells him to rise up, go and preach, cry out against it. The mission begins in the heart of God. And what we're going to see all through the book of Jonah, and you need to understand this, the book of Jonah is not primarily about the prophet who's running away. It's primarily about the heart of God. Because God loves Nineveh 
to the degree that he will reclaim his runaway prophet to get him there. And God loves his runaway prophet so much that he will reclaim him and get him back on the intended mission. The book of Jonah is all about the big heart of God for the world and his determination to get his people on board with that mission and participating in that mission. And so that's what we can expect. But let's consider the context of the man, Jonah, son of Amittai, and the cultural setting in which he is placed. Jonah, son of Amittai, the only other time that phrase is used in the Bible is in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse, verse 25. And what that does is that places Jonah, it places him during the golden age of the prophets. He was not the only prophet delivering God's word at the time. Isaiah was prophesying at the time. Hosea was prophesying at the time. There were other prophets who were delivering messages. This was a golden age of the prophets. They were, they were announcing God's word out there into the world. But primarily, the other prophets were prophesying within the borders of Israel to the people of Israel. That's what prophets typically did up to this point. They went to their own people and they did their ministry in their own country. And anytime they prophesied about foreign nations, they did so from the relative safety of their own country. It's like me talking about North Korea from America, okay? It's like me saying something about that country from this place within America. That's what the prophets typically did. Or they talked about their own country in their own country. But what we see right here is there's something that is shifting in this text. And that shift comes in this. Jonah is giving a distinct calling from his typical colleagues. Because Jonah is called by God to cross borders. Jonah is called to cross borders with God's word. That's his calling. He's called to cross a religious border, to go into Nineveh, which was in the country of Assyria. It was the capital city. He's told to go to that place. They don't share your religion. Go to that place. They, it was an ethnic border. They don't, they don't share your ethnicity. They don't share your culture, Jonah. It was, it was a calling to cross a geographic border. They were in a different land. And what we see right off the bat, and I want you to pay attention to this, what you're seeing put on display throughout the rest of the narrative, you got to learn how to read the Bible in the way that it's telling you to read it, okay? This is presented to you as a story. You have to enter into the story. You have to see the scenes. You have to feel the emotions, smell the smells, hear the sounds. That's how you get into God's word and realize how alive it is. So here it is. And I'm going to spell out for you more about Nineveh and Assyria. But here it is. God's massive heart. I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that they're ruining themselves and hold out hope. Preach the word. And Jonah says, oh, you expect that the next thing, every other time that you approach this 
phrase, and the word of the Lord came to. The next phrase says, and they went and did what God told them to do. But here, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he up and goes the exact opposite direction. You're seeing the heart of God versus the heart of the prophet in this text. His smallness of heart against the largeness of heart of God. That's what we're going to see in this text. He, we need to unpack this, but first we need to appreciate why Jonah ran. Why did Jonah run? Well, if you understand what's going on in the Second Kings context, you got to think, y'all. You got to think. You got to follow. You got to track with the story. If you understand what's going on in that Second Kings context, what you realize is that Jonah was a prophet at a time where the nation of Israel was successful and prosperous. And any time the nation was successful and prosperous, guess who got all the credit? The king and the prophet. The king and the prophet. This was at a time where Jeroboam II, who was the king, somebody say Jeroboam. Jeroboam II was the king, and he was in the process of expanding their borders. Success, I mean, the, the gross domestic product was huge. Everyone had jobs, and un- unemployment was down. Everything was looking good. The stock market was rising. And guess who got the credit? The king and the prophet, who was Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, here's a little, little piece of insight. If you were the prophet, and the word that you were delivering was a word of prosperity for the people, Well, then guess what? You were thought of favorably by the people. Jonah was a sort of hometown hero. People loved him. He was a man of stature in Israel. They loved Jonah because he was delivering the word that they wanted to hear about prosperity. Life was going to be good. The borders of Israel were expanding to their maximum, the maximum that they ever grew to in the history of the nation. He is a hometown hero. He has a great reputation with his people. He had been doing really well ministering to his own people. He had been doing really well ministering within the borders of his own culture and his own country with his own language, eating his own foods. So can you imagine what must have been going on in his mind when the word of the Lord came to him? Can Can you sense it? You can almost feel the tension crashing down on him with this call. And his mind is like a cocktail of emotions raging from resentment and bitterness to anger and fear. Because God is calling him to leave the place where it's all love to go to Nineveh. Nineveh. Nobody at this time in Israel would have been neutral in hearing the name Nineveh. And you know why? Because Nineveh was known for its brutality. Nineveh was known for being savage toward its enemies. Its war policies were brutal. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that it's the kind of gruesome that you can't describe with children in the room. That's what they were known for. That was their reputation. That's how they operated toward their enemies in their military campaigns. They would they, they tell about their, their exploits in their, in their Assyrian records about the things that they used to enjoy doing to their enemies. Dismemberment, all kind of cruel uh, and unusual punishments. They were, they were known as terrorists. 
the Assyrians were. And Nineveh was the capital where this stuff was going down. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah telling him, arise, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. And and in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, God, do you know who these people are? Go to Nineveh. Do you know what they have done? Go to Nineveh. Do you know what they will do to me? Go to Nineveh. You have to appreciate how difficult this was for Jonah to compute. It was difficult to process because God was sending him to those people. He was sending them to the vicious, brutal enemies. He was sending him into this very vulnerable place. And what we see about the call to mission immediately in addition to the fact that it's cross-cultural, is that more often than not, it's exactly the opposite of what we want to do. It's, It's a hard pill to swallow when we think about some of the things to which God has called us as we live on his mission. Nineveh stood as the epitome of everything that was hostile to Israel. They they symbolized oppression and brutality. And yet God calls him because God wants to make a demonstration of this scenario right here. Because here's the deal. God established Israel in the beginning as a come and see people. In other words, God establishes his people in the land. He establishes the temple in the land. And they were to be a light to the nations. But they were to be a light to the nations in the sense of the people were to stream into Israel to see the beauty of the community that God had created, to see what God was doing in their place. They were a come and see kind of community primarily, not not exclusively, but primarily. But here God is beginning to turn and make them a go and tell people. And that's why we say it's not good enough for the church to say all are welcome. We're not just to come and see people. We're a go and tell people. We cannot be content with just sitting back, putting the word of welcome on the sign and never actually going out to people in love. Never actually going out to people with the invitation. Never actually going out to people with mercy and resources. Never actually going out to our local schools or engaging with our local business owners or asking our neighbors of particular ways that our community can serve them. We are to be not only a come and see, but a go and tell kind of people. And this is the beginning of a shift in redemptive history. The call to mission is jarring, it's shocking. And we all must share with Jonah in this shock. Because here's what's gonna happen all through the story. I'm gonna tell you this right up front. All through the story, you're going to be tempted to turn your nose up at Jonah. You're going to be tempted to condescend toward Jonah, to see how he doesn't get it, to say, what a selfish, mean person. And you know what the narrator is setting you up to see? Your likeness to him. He's setting us up to see our likeness to Jonah, our own selfishness, our own hesitance to cross the borders toward people that we see to be simply undeserving. 
Maybe if they worked a little harder. Maybe if they made some different choices. I don't want to go to them. I don't like them. I don't buy what they're about. But here God's going to stretch his community by showing you an example. And then he's going to flip that thing on you. But, but let's look at our second point and our final point where we see the cost of mission. Now, in light of everything that I just said about Jonah's standing as a prophet in Israel prior to this point, hometown hero, well-loved, great reputation. Everyone cheered him on. He was there. He was their dude. All right. That's who, who Jonah was to the people of Israel. They admired him. Now you can appreciate the cost that he would have to pay for the sake of this mission. We're invited to think about what obedience to this call could cost Jonah. That's the invitation. Would you think for a moment of what obedience to this call would cost Jonah? In his mind, he faced the prospect of losing everything and possibly his very life through brutal torture and the fulfillment of this mission. Present in his call, friends, is his humiliation. I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Present in this call, he's going to be humiliated. He's going to go from being the prophet of his people to being that guy who decided to go to Nineveh, to those people. This would be the end of his good reputation that he enjoyed as a hometown hero. He would become degraded and despised because they, they shared his sensibilities. They had zero tolerance for the Ninevites. They had no love for the Ninevites. And from our vantage point, we could say, yeah, it's hard to blame them. This was a savage culture at the time. They did brutal things, but they hated Nineveh. They hated Nineveh. Jonah's friends and family would reject and disown him if he carried out this mission, no doubt. Jonah considers the potential cost of God's mission and he runs away. Why does he run away? Here's why he runs away. At the time, it was understood that the prophetic word of God was only ever delivered within the boundaries of Israel. God did not give his prophetic word outside of the geographical borders of Israel. So Jonah thinks, aha, if I leave Israel, if I get outside the borders of my country, if I flee, then I won't hear the word of the Lord coming to me anymore. And then I won't be obligated to his mission. He will have to find somebody else. To do this thing. In other words, he, he felt like by running, he could evade the call. The, the mission didn't suit him, and so he decided he was going to find a way out. And that's exactly what he's doing by running. He's thinking God will call somebody else to do it. Think about the challenge that this brings us right from the beginning. Jonah is hesitant about crossing these borders with the word of the Lord. And he runs away, hoping that God will get somebody else to do it. And we can really identify with that, can't we? Because we know what it's like to evade the clear call of God for his mission, to, to cross borders with his word to our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors. 
We know what it's like to look for a way out and to suppose that God will find someone else to do it. We, we like Jonah, check it out, we can do pretty well with people who are like us. Jonah did well with the, he did good ministry with the people who were like him, who shared his culture, who ate the food that he ate, who shared his presuppositions about life, who shared his blind spots too. He did well with them. That's what 2 Kings is telling us. But God is pressing him into the next layer of the mission. You must cross borders. And when it comes to crossing borders, that's where he gets hung up. You and I can do really well with people who are like us, who grew up like we did, who get our jokes, who share our commitments, who dress like us, who watch the same TV shows that we do. We can do pretty well relating with them and even sometimes doing ministry toward them, serving them, building relationships with them. But as I said last week, one of the most challenging things that can happen in a cross-cultural church where we actually have diversity here is even here, it's easy to sneak around and, 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 and move in between to connect only with the people who are like you in a cross-cultural community so that you have a veneer of being cross-cultural so that you have the cosmetics but not the substance because you have not built actual relationships with people in our community who are not like you. We know what it's like to be cosmetic. This is, we're in a cultural climate right now where there is a value for diversity, which is a good thing. There's a value for multi-ethnic sensibilities at some level. And isn't it sad that it's sometimes it's the church that is most behind? We must own that failure, but acknowledge at the same time that we have the resources to begin to change. We can be different. We can act differently. It's in our book. It's not a failure of, of our scriptures. It's not a failure of God's heart or God's vision or God's mission. The failure is all ours. And we must acknowledge that. We have been stinking up the room as an American church for far too long. And what I mean by American church are all of the churches that are located in America and have American cultural sensibilities. That's what I mean. And what I want us to do is to begin to lock on. I'm not asking you to become of a particular political persuasion. I'm asking you to consider scripture to consider God's word and how it is pressing us to be a different kind of people in this world. There is a cost, and we see that in Jonah. And it's easy to feel good about yourself and look down your nose at the prophet, but you just got to realize how deep this call was. What's happening in our hearts when we're called to the mission in the crucible of difference? When we're called to leave our Israel for Nineveh, we all have our own cultural home. We all have our own place of familiarity. And what happens when we're called to leave it? Oftentimes we're found failing. And the way that you begin to change is by first acknowledging it. Second, acknowledging that God holds out hope to you for trans transformation. Because here's what you see throughout the story. Though the mission doesn't suit Jonah, God is going to suit Jonah for the mission. You, you, 
know God is so committed to you that he will not allow you to trash your life in selfishness. He will win you back. In loving discipline, through good and bad, he will win you back. God's committed to his prophet and he's committed to Nineveh. And that is the unmistakable message of the text. God's heart is bigger than, than what we have ever realized. And we're invited into this story to feel our smallness of heart and our apprehensions regarding the other and to seek change. Because we, just like Jonah, failed across borders. We failed across religious borders. Why? Because we don't want to be labeled narrow-minded, fundamentalist, insensitive, or the real shot below the belt, exclusive. Here's the, if you're being intellectually honest, you have to realize that from the moment that someone says you're just being exclusive, they are making an exclusive truth claim. No one fails to be exclusive. The question is, which exclusivity is most inclusive? Which makes the most room for the most diversity of, the greatest diversity of people? I believe the gospel does. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So embraceive. But we fail, right? We fail to cross religious borders. We're willing to blur or completely disregard our significant differences because we're just fearful. We don't want anyone to talk bad about us. We want to keep our reputation. And we're hesitant to even bring difficult words to the people in our own tribes, in our own camps. We fail to cross ethnic borders because we often kind of like things the way they are, especially if we're in a position of power or benefit. If you hold all the power, then why would you want things to change? Things seem to be good with me calling the shots, say so many. It's hard to think about crossing the border to live life on equal footing with brothers and sisters. It's hard. We don't want to cross those lines. We get tired of talking about the topics associated with crossing these borders. We shy away from them. We try to escape the issues. We're afraid of offending people or we're afraid of messing things up. You will mess things up if you're gonna live cross-culturally. This is just a fact. But that's not a reason to resist crossing the border. We often sentence these cross-cultural relationships to, you know, uh, a life of small talk without parole. Yeah, yeah, that weather, boy, I tell you. Rather than getting into the nitty-gritty of our differences and celebrating the good and beautiful differences and working to figure out how God has knit us together to be a greater benefit to each other. God's commission to Jonah demonstrates the fact that God's desire is to send his people to those people so that those people will become his people. You see that in the text? God's desire is to send his people to those people so that those people will become his people. Whoever those people are for you. The goal of Jonah's mission is that Nineveh would respond to the mercy of God. 
regardless of how wrong they had been, regardless of their violent past, regardless of how broken their culture was where they celebrated violence and brutality, God wanted to reclaim them through his people, through his prophet. That's why he sent him. Don't be thrown off that God sends him to cry out against Nineveh. It's like crying out against terrorism and saying this is a destructive way of life, not just for you, but for everyone around you. Come to the light. It's a warning that the pattern of life that you have chosen is self-destructive. It's one of the most loving things that you can do to tell your children, don't play in the street. It's one of the most important things you can say to your children. Do not play with the light socket. It's a warning. Could you imagine your kids saying, so judgmental. You're going to tell me what to do with my life. Who gives you the right? Right? Like, but none of us would think it's unloving in the same way. That's what the prophetic words of warning all through the Old Testament scriptures are about. They're evidence of God's love and mercy and patience that he does not want to follow through on judging these folks. If they will simply repent, they can be restored. And the prophets would say these words not only to their own countrymen, but outside to the nations of the world because the hope was that they would respond in repentance and faith. God's heart for the world is big. What we see is he sends Nineveh, I mean, he sends Jonah to this great city. He calls it this great city. There's lots of scholarly debate on what it means for it to be a great city. Is it large? Is it just important? You could say it was large and important, I believe. But, but what it, it provokes us to, to ask is this. What, if God has these kinds of plans for Nineveh, what might God have planned for our city? What might God have planned for D.C., for Northeast, if we would participate in the mission, if we would cross the borders for the sake of the mission, crossing the borders with the word of God, with his word. And here's how this text closes out, friends. You're sitting here and you're looking, and if you're looking at this text and you're saying, wow, I'm looking at this message of Jonah. It seems to be a message of, don't be like Jonah. You got to do better than Jonah. <laughs> what do you do with this text? The runaway prophet who has a small heart and who resists crossing borders. What do you do with him? You need to realize the whole purpose for which this text was written. The whole purpose for which this text was written is to shine the light to help you to anticipate the greater prophet who is to come. It's meant to help you to anticipate a different kind of prophet. Luke 11, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. In that Gospel, this is what Jesus says to his contemporaries. They're saying, give us a sign. Show us that you are who you claim to be. And he says, no sign will be given, y'all, except the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and be raised up. Jesus is telling you, look back at the story of Jonah and see that it's all about me. This story is meant to make you long for a 
greater prophet. The word of the Lord came to this prophet, Jesus Christ. And when he heard the call from God, he obediently engaged the mission because he shared the heart of God for the nations. Christ was sent on mission by God to cross borders of an entirely different kind. Far more hostile. He crosses the border from the heavenly to the earthly. From the righteous to the unrighteous. From the land of the living to the land of the dead. He crosses the border with the word of the Lord. The word that all things are going to be made new. The word that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available. The word that you can be a different kind of person through his grace. Jesus crosses these borders. And it's a powerful explanation of what the gospel is all about. Because what you have to see, friends, is that we're actually not just like Jonah. We are like Nineveh. We are those vile people. We are those broken people who have been wrong for so long. But when this greater prophet came, he crossed the border to us in love and brought the word of grace to us, the word of the gospel to us. That's the word we needed most. He didn't just face the prospect of losing all. He actually did lose all in order to fulfill this mission. Present in his call was his humiliation. And Jesus had every right to refuse this commission. Jesus could have said, Father, do you know who these people are? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they'll do to me? But that's not what he says. He says, I've come to do your will, oh God. And he says, yes, I know what they will do to me. But let's redeem them. <laughs> that's the way that the greater prophet comes at this thing. Jesus is the prophet about whom this story is written. And when you realize how he crossed the border to you, you become a participant because he crossed this border, all of these borders. He has the authority and the credibility to call us to the same. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he has not done himself. To enter into the awkwardness, the difficulty, the loss, the sacrifice, the challenges, the humiliation at times. Jesus isn't calling you to anything that he has not endured himself for the sake of his mission to you. And he, as a border crossing God, wants to create a border crossing people, and that's us. That is the most deeply characterized who we are. People who for the sake of love, because of largeness of heart, will not allow fear to keep us from crossing the borders. Sometimes the borders that we share on our, our plat line between neighbors. Sometimes the border is the back alley. Sometimes the border is just a metro stop away. But you need to begin asking, what are the borders that God has called me to cross? And how can I, by God's grace, begin to cross them? And how can I look to the example of Jesus, the chief missionary, the chief prophet, bringing the word of the Lord to me? How can I look to him for strength and help in this? Know that you are never more like your Savior than, than when you're becoming a border crossing people. Let's lean into this, this this fall, Grace Mosaic, this is an opportunity for us. This is an opportunity for us to re-examine what it is that we are about. 
Are we about just checking the church box? Yeah, I went to church. Get off my back. That's the way that it's, it's easy to get into that mode. I went to church. I sang the songs. I endured the sermon. Fine. Now let me get along with my week. Or you can begin to have your identity refashioned. Your entire mode of existence in the world as a sent person. And we as a sent community because of the largeness of God's heart for us and the world. Let's share in that and pray for God's help to lean into it more. And to begin to do the little things like invite people. Invite. It's simple. Invite people. There are a high percentage of people who will come if you simply invite them. They'll come to a barbecue. They'll come to a neighborhood thing. They'll come to church. Let's just be known as a welcoming people who is on the mission of God, getting outside of ourselves, because the gospel that we have is this kind of gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your help. We pray that you would empower and enrich us and strengthen us to live up into this story. Help us to repent, to turn from the ugliness of heart that leads us away from other people, that leads us to only think about how things affect me, to think about my life and my busyness and my schedule and how I'm just so important. We know that sometimes our our way of existing, our mode reduces to these kind of embarrassing tropes. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live lives that are other-centered, you being first and neighbor being second. And we pray, Lord, that you would grow us as we live up into this loving picture. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.